we will get started here. We are in chapter 2 of 1 John, uh, starting in verse 18 this morning. All right, remember, John has been uh, just kind of giving a warning and talking to people about, about uh, teaching that has crept into the church that, that really isn't in accordance to uh, the, the, the teaching and, and right orthodoxy, right doctrine, and things like that. And, and so he's been dealing with this thing, uh, this Gnostic, Gnosticism that has been creeping into the church, and he's, he's addressing these things. Uh, and, and he's beginning to talk about some, some things that, that, that we talk a lot about, too. So verse 18, children, it is the last hour. And as you, as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that all are not of us. But you've been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you about everything, uh, oh, sorry, should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him. For you know that he is righteous. You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. All right, so John begins this whole thing with this idea of the last hour, right? And in and, and, and this last hour, he's talking about, uh, the, the, Jesus is talking about his disciples, his followers keep talking about this, this the, end, the end of days kind of a thing, right? And, and here we are, a couple thousand years later, almost, uh, Still wondering, like, like, like what's, what, what's going on here, the last hour? But I just want to encourage, just tell us that basically that the last hour really began at the cross. We're, we aren't talking about kind of just a, a specific time frame. We're talking about kind of an epoch or a period of time. And, and at the cross, when the cross uh, happened and, and, and Jesus died for the sins of humanity and the church age was brought into to being, this is the final thing. It's the last hour. It's the last days. The end times, even, if you will. So we've been in that for a long time. Sure seems like it's kind of dragging on, right? Second uh, Peter 3.9 says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is that no one would perish, that all would turn and would be saved, that all would, would, would come to Him, that none would be lost. 
This is the heart of God, and this is the reason, part of the reason why this has went on a really long time. It's why it continues to go on until he determines that it's the final time. And one day, what we know from God's word is that there is a time that is coming that will finally, it will be the culmination of time and of this whole plan, and everything will be done and over with. Um, but for now, God has got an open door. He's got an open door, and we as the church need to realize that there's an open door for people to come right now, that before this door closes, before the end of this thing, before it is done away with, there is the opportunity that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and, and I just keep us mindful, church, of the great commission that we have, the co-mission, the, the cooperative mission that we have with Jesus as the church which is to bring more people in to see heaven be a crowded place, to make heaven crowded really is the thing that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be making um, disciples. So it's been the last hour since the, in the end time since the cross. Um, but once the events of the actual end times begin, it's going to happen very quickly. This is why Jesus said, this generation will, shall not surely pass away before these things come to be. So, so when the final events really begin for the final end times before Jesus' return, it's going to begin, it's going to begin to accelerate rapidly. It's going to begin to happen quickly. It's going to happen within a generation of people that the culmination of time really is going to happen. But in the meantime, Honestly, we've, uh, I think John is trying to keep us mindful here, too, that, that there are things that are, have kind of been going on, and they've just been kind of going on and stuff. And so, so I, I think that the biggest thing for us in the church is, is to remember, where is our focus? What are we to be focused on? Are we to be... There have been many times where the church has gotten so focused on the end times things that they literally just kind of like quit, they quit because they're like, well, he's, he's, he's going to be here next week or, or, or two weeks from Saturday. And, and so the church began to just kind of sit on the hillside and wait for his return. And you see, actually, we've never been told to do that. As a matter of fact, the church is called to be a people who are busy doing the things that they've been called to do all the way up until the master's return. And, and so 1 John 4 Three, uh, as we begin to look at this and we begin to talk about, he talks about then this Antichrist, right? He says this, he says, as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, and so now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know that it is the last hour. And so while certainly it, there's a time and a, and a waiting for this final Antichrist, he's also saying at this early place, this early spot in the church, that many antichrists have already come, that, that they were actually, um, that they've come. And because of this, we know that we are living in the last hour. And, and so John begins to paint this picture that like, hey, we're not just waiting for this one, that actually it's kind of a different thing than that. It's a, it's a spirit, basically, too, that there is this a spirit of antichrist um, that goes on. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. You know, John is dealing with people like Nero 
And Nero was an incredibly wicked ruler in Rome. As a matter of fact, he used, to, he used to take Christians and dip them in oil and put pitch on them and impale them with sticks and light, his, light them on fire for his garden parties to light up garden parties at night. This is how cruel Nero was. We had Domitian, who was an incredibly cruel uh, ruler in Rome as well. What have we seen in modern times? I mean, we've seen... Uh, we, we, we've seen uh, uh, Lenin, we've seen uh, Stalin, Pol Pot, Mao Zedong, uh, Adolf Hitler, these things, this kind of spirit of Antichrist that is a type of the one who will come one day, just an absolute Antichrist. It's a spirit. So the spirit of God leads us into the things of God. It, it moves and it honors God. And the Antichrist begins to denigrate those things. It tears those things down. It's the opposite of the spirit of Christ that the church operates under. You know, sometimes you hear people say, well, you know, if we could just get rid of religion, if we could just get rid of religion, then we would see peace come into the world, that the world would be a better place if we got rid of religion. Now, no, no doubt about it, there have been awful things that have happened in the name of religion. But I'm going to tell you that that thing has been tried, that idea if we could just get rid of religion, we could live in peace. More people have lost their lives under that philosophy than, than, than by all of the people that have died in all of the wars that have ever happened. Um, Lenin, Stalin, Pol Pot, Mao Zedong, the founders and the fathers of communism basically tried to create a society that was void of God. It was based in atheism to get rid of religion and to get rid of God. And in the name of atheism, they killed hundreds of millions of people. Literally hundreds of millions of people have died for the idea that if we could just get rid of religion, we could have something amazing. So, it's this idea that there's this thing that it's out there and that there's a spirit that's out there that, that, is, that is promoting this and there are people that are living into this and because of this, we know that this is the last hour. We also says here that they went out from us uh, because they were never of us. Uh, they, they, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Um, they originated, some of them originate inside of the church. They were with us, but then they went out from us. They deviated, they, they took a divergence, they, they took on ideologies and, and, and doctrine and different things like that that were, that were in opposition to the church and to the things of God. Uh, they were never of us. I think that that's a really interesting point, that they, they went out from us. Why did they go out from us? Because they were never of us. A lot of times, uh, a lot of, you know, some, some different Christian thought, and there's some Christian thought out there, and, and, and let me just say again that just because there's different Christian thought out there than what you or I may have sometimes, it doesn't make folks our enemies. It doesn't necessarily uh, make us all right and them all wrong. Uh, they can still be brothers and sisters in Christ, but some, some Christians believe like that you can just lose your salvation, right? That, that if, you, if you don't perform well enough or if you do some bad things, that, that then you could lose your salvation. I think that this is an interesting thing here because what, what John really starts to say is that, that, that it's not that they, a loss of salvation, it's a lack of salvation. 
It's a lack. It's a, it's a, it's a believing maybe or saying, professing maybe that they had something that they never really had. So the, the fact that they went out from us is an evidence that they were never of us. Um, see, because if you've given your life to Christ, the Bible says that your life is now hidden in his righteous right hand, that he holds your life. And it says that no one can remove it. Nobody. And I believe that that means you. You can't remove it either. The question is, is are you in that relationship? See, we're not Christians just because we say we're a Christian. A lot of people would just check a box if you cornered them up. I was one of those people at a certain point who would have said, yeah, if you'd have cornered me up and said, look, what are you? What's your faith system, you know, I would have been like, well, I don't know, I'm, I'm not a Buddhist, I'm not a Hindu, uh, I guess I'm a Christian. But you see, that didn't really make me a Christian because my life and who I was and what I was all about, I'd never actually given my life to Jesus. I never made Jesus the Lord of my life. I've, I had never yielded my own will to his will and asked for forgiveness and restoration. I wasn't born again. And see, until we're born again, we're still outside of this deal. But if you're in it, if you've done that, if you've trusted Jesus, you don't have to live with the anxiety or the fear that you might lose it. See, endurance and perseverance become a hallmark, really, of the believer. I believe that if we endure to the end, it's because of the Spirit of God that lives in us, that strengthens us, that keeps us going. See, none of this is about you and about me. It's not about us and having enough strength and, and, and I'm able to do these things so well and so good and I'm, I'm able to be pious and such a great Christian and those kinds of things. And I'm, I'm continuing to just earn my way and prove to it. No, it's about me being in Christ. It's about me being yielded to his spirit. It's about me abiding. If, you, if we continue to listen to John, his thing is going to be abide, abide, abide. Live there. Make your home there. When, when, and like we said before, abiding doesn't mean visiting. Abiding is staying. Abiding is making a decision to make this your home. It's, it begins to make this, make God's word our authority so many have already appeared. They were early in the church. They originated inside of the church, and they went out because they were never of the church. See, ultimately, we know this, that there are many deceivers that are out there. Second John 7, and this is another explanation of the Antichrist. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. And, and so the Antichrist, it's interesting, you, you may or may not know it, I was actually kind of surprised by this, the word Antichrist only appears in 1st, 2nd, and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, other places he's, he's referred to, this Antichrist is referred to as the man of lawlessness, a son of perdition, the beast in the, in the book of Revelation. Um, but this idea of Antichrist only shows up here. And it doesn't seem to point necessarily to just a one person, um, although I would agree that, that this is going to culminate in one person at a certain point, but almost a spirit that is out there and that is going. Where does he get it? Where do we get this doctrine from? Where does this come from? Well, Daniel 7.25 is, is this great, amazing prophecy about the Messiah and him being cut off and, and his life, and when he would come into uh, Jerusalem, 
when he would die on the cross and all of these things. And, and, and the last part of that is really left open in this prophecy. In Daniel 7, 25, it says, he shall speak words against the Most High. He shall blaspheme him, basically. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Daniel 9 says, and after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off, that's Jesus, and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with the flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offer. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. And, and so it's just like, wow, that's, that's pretty weird, um, pretty wild stuff in there. But, but this is this idea that, that, uh, that there is a prince who is to come, um, who ultimately is going to, has in the past and will again destroy the city and the sanctuary, and, um, and he will make a covenant with the people of God for a short period. And this would be the seven years, roughly, of tribulation that is talked about in the Old Testament. Second Thessalonians mentions this Antichrist. It says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come, the end, basically, unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So, so this person, this Antichrist, ultimately is this one who is basically, it's all about, it's all about self. If you've, if you've ever uh, come to understand some things like even satanic stuff, uh, the satanic church, that basically the the ideology and the theology of the satanic church is all about self. It's really all about, it's not even really about, uh, the satanic Bible isn't really written in the sense about worship of Satan, it's about worship of self is what it's all about. And it takes everybody, it basically is this idea that you should never have anything like self-control you should indulge every single desire that you have in your life, and you make everything about life really ultimately about yourself. This is the same attitude that is going to be in the Antichrist, and it's going to be more than that. It's also going to be the attitude ultimately that is in much of the church. There's going to be an apostate church or a church that turns its back on the teaching of God. It's going to be a church that begins to determine for itself what's right and evil. And there will be a time coming up in which the Bible says that they will call what is good evil, and they will call what is evil good. Where are we at in that? Well, I don't know, but, but I can tell you that there are some interesting things that are going on right now in the world today. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 says, now the, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart for the, from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciousnesses are seared. So there's going to be false teachers. There's going to be these wolves in clothing. There is going to be all kinds of false theology and false thought. 
There is going to be all kinds of, of things that, that, the, that God's word calls evil are going to be pronounced as being good and the right thing, and the things of God's word that are called, they're going to be called evil instead of good. And so, so there's this time that is coming in which people aren't going to hear the truth. 2 Timothy 4, 3, 4, for the time is coming when people will not want to endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Finally, First Peter, but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves with destruction. This is why it's so necessary to understand and to know God's word. How else are we going to have something to measure from? Really, the, the, the word Bible means a measuring rod. It's, it's this idea that we need something to anchor up to. We need something to measure off of. And as the world begins to drift away from God and away from who God is, we, we have to have a standard so that we understand what God is calling his people to, what he's calling us to. See, he goes on to say this. He says, uh, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you, you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. See, the amazing thing about this is that he's telling us that you have an anointing. You, you have a God-ordained job. You have a God-ordained future in front of you. Ephesians 2.10, uh, that, that, uh, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the good works that he prepared in advance that we might walk in them. Do you know that God, from all eternity past, has things for you to walk in, a job for you, an anointed ministry for you to walk in, a difference for you to make in the world around you? Sometimes we feel like, oh, God couldn't use me. That's a lie. That's an absolute lie. You see, I believe this. I believe that there is ministry. I believe that there are things in your life that only you can accomplish. There are relationships. There are situations that are unique to you, and you have the opportunity to step into these things and to be salt and light into a world around us that so desperately needs it. A world, literally, that because of basically having an antichrist type of a attitude and approach to the world and to life is spiraling out of control out there. And the church is the solution. The church, to begin to be the church, to begin to walk as the church, to, to the, when you go out of these doors today, to be mindful that there's something that God has for you, that God has ministry for you to do. He has, he has people that you're going to come into contact with today. There are people all throughout the week as we go, just think about the amount of influence that we have. If we really become a place and a church that recognizes that the church has to go outside of the doors, we can't, we can't sit here and wait for everybody to come inside. We've got to begin to go out. 
And if we all went out, think of the sphere of influence we would have right here in the community. Think about how far and how wide it would go. And if we began to recognize that, that my life is actually a purposeful life, it's a planned out life that there are opportunities that God is going to give you and I throughout the week to make a difference in the world around us. What if we just woke up every morning excited about that adventure saying, God, what do you have for us today? Because what I want to do is I want to do the things that you're calling me to today. I want to be in the places that you're calling me to. I want to, I want to have the conversations that you're going to call me to today. Or, or maybe I want to sit in your presence and rest today and, and, and just, just experience you. But every single day, we just woke up and said, God, what do you have for us today? It's the greatest adventure that we could ever go on it, is, to, is to wake up every day excited about what God might have for us. It's this anointing. It's a God-ordained calling. It's unique. Nobody else has the calling on your life that you do. That word in, in Ephesians 2.10, where it says that you are God's workmanship, the word there is poema in the Greek. And that word means, it's, it's the word by which we get poetry or poem from. What it means is that your life is a poem that God wants to tell the world. God wants to use the, the struggles of our lives. And see, it's not just about being good. It's not about going out there and saying, wow, look at all the great things about me and all of the, the very uh, amazing things that I'm doing and how ultra spiritual I am. No, it's about taking our brokenness. It's about taking our, our sin at times. It, it's about having a testimony of what God has done in our lives and how he's changed us. It's not about going out there and telling the world how bad they are and how good we are. It's about an acknowledgement that, yes, you know what, so too at one time was I. I was as lost as anybody out there. I was, I was in need of Christ as much as anybody. And I don't care how good you are in here. I don't care how well you've lived your life towards the A plan of life. You still are every bit as much in need as the worst person that you could see out there. See, because none are righteous. There is no one who is righteous. There is no good people. That's the plain teaching of the Bible. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So church, we might as well just humble ourselves, get real with our stuff, and begin to be a church that has a testimony and a people with a testimony. Because see, here's the deal. What we generally tend to do is we take that stuff, we take our shortcomings, we take our failures, and we stuff them down into some dark place, and we hope that it'll just go away but it won't. It will eat at your soul. It will minimize you. It will keep you from attaining the ministry that God has for you. But when you get a hold of that and you bring it out and you bring it into the light, it dies in that place. It loses its power to control you anymore. It loses its power to bring anxiety into your life. It loses its power to shame you anymore. And all of a sudden, what used to be this awful, terrible thing becomes a tool in the hand of God that you're able to share with other people at times, who are experiencing something similar, and now you get to become an agent of hope. And when, you, when that happens, when that transaction happens in our lives, it's the thing that changes everything. It's the thing that changes our Christian experience. When you become willing to start to be transparent, and don't get me wrong, you got to be careful with this, and, and, and sometimes you got to unpack, you got to unpack this stuff with the right people, but I'm just telling you, when you understand that you are forgiven, 
and that you are restored and that you are redeemed, that you are holy, righteous, beyond reproach, that you are a child of the king, that you've been adopted into his family, that he's separated your sin as far as the east is from the west, that he's buried it at the bottom of the ocean and he's chose to remember it no more. And now he's asking his people to just say, hey, how about if you take your testimony and you go out there and you use that to help other people to recognize. See, so many people are scared to come in here. They're afraid. They think it's funny when you know the truth, but they think that they're not worthy to be in here. They think that everybody in here has it all together, okay? And as your pastor, I can tell you, we don't have it all together by far. We are far from that. We are far from that. But in that, there's a power in that, just that acknowledgement that, you know what, I don't have it, and, 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 I, and I know you don't either. And it's okay because God does have it, because he is big enough. You have this anointing on our lives. We have an opportunity to live our lives for something that's really meaningful. Wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever your sphere of influence is when you go out there, I promise you, if you say, God, I want you to use me today somehow, or, or this week, I promise you, and you start to say, God, I'm looking for these opportunities, and, and here, here's what I do a lot of times. I say, God, you open the door. You open the door, I'll walk through it. You start it, you initiate it, you get something going here, I want to walk through that. I want to walk in something that you're doing today. See, I don't want to go out there and create stuff. I don't want to go out there and just kind of start kicking people's doors down and trying stuff like that. It doesn't work very well. But you see, when the Holy Spirit initiates it and he opens up and he, and he, and he brings the, the conversation about and stuff, you'll be amazed at what happens. People are confused. People don't know truth. People are living their lives in a manner that is destroying their lives. It's destroying marriages. It's destroying children and their parenting. It's, it, it, it's, it's, they're living for things so often that they think will bring life and goodness, but it's only bringing death, right? Proverbs 14, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. Its end doesn't bring good things. Do this, what do we do? Well, it's the same message, and you'll get tired of hearing it, but I hope it sinks in. Abide. Abide. John 8, 31 and 32. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, in, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will have a wonderful effect in your life. It will set you free. It will set you free from the illusions, and it will set you free from the captivity that we put ourselves in. Abide. Abide, listen. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father, and this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. What is the thing that's from the beginning? What is the thing that we understood from the beginning? It's the gospel. Have you preached the gospel to yourself lately? Have you reminded yourself of what was been done for you, that Jesus gave everything so that you could have eternal life? And it had nothing to do with you. 
It wasn't about you. It wasn't because you were good. It wasn't because you were some lovely person. You see, he died to make us lovely, not because we were lovely. He, he didn't die for us because we were good. He's good. And because of that, we need to preach our, the gospel back to ourselves, and we need to abide in that. We need to understand where we came from. Because sometimes, Christians, we get kind of judgmental. We, we start thinking we're somewhere else or that we're somebody else or that we're, we're kind of great or that we're, we're, a pretty, we're a pretty big deal. We need to abide in this truth and abide in him. John 15, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. What's he saying? He's saying, look, you can't do it. Unless you're abiding in him, you can't produce the real fruit of righteousness that he wants to produce in your life. How do you have it? You abide. You make your home there. You, you, you allow this to be the authority of your life. And you spend time, you nurture this relationship. You spend time in God's word. You spend time in prayer. You spend time in worship. You spend time in fellowship with God's people. You, you, you spend time getting real and transparent and getting our junk out with somebody. See, James 5, when it tells us about confession, it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. See, it's not about shaming. It's not about, it's, it, it, it's not about shaming somebody. It's not about reducing somebody to nothing. It's about healing. It's about when we get this junk out that we're trying to hide and we're trying to pretend like we've been somebody else for so long and we've, we've got this mask that we're wearing and we come to Sunday and we act like we've got it all together and we try to smile and all that stuff. That's not the truth. We begin to get real. We begin to get authentic with one another. We begin to get transparent. Things begin to change. And, and that, that root that, that the enemy where that was rooted down and it was kind of in the enemy's space and he, he, he had access through that root system up and into our hearts and our minds, that gets cut off. It gets cut off when we begin to do that and he loses the power in our lives of shame and loses the power in our lives to, um, to have us to miss the fullness of what God would have for us. What's the promise? It's eternal life. What's he saying? He's saying, keep your hope out there. Keep your hope out there. When we keep our hope out there, then what's going on here isn't such a big deal. See, what's he saying? He's saying, he's saying, regardless of what's going on out there, regardless of what antichrist thing is going on, regardless of how bad the church is getting, regardless of what you're seeing and, 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 and how bad the, you know, the, the news looks and all of these different things that, hey, you got one job. And you start that job by abiding in me, by, by, by living, by spending time there, by being connected there. And then out of that, you got a great commission to go out and make disciples. And it doesn't matter how good the world is. It doesn't matter how bad the world is. Our job description never changes. It's the same. It doesn't matter what's happening. It doesn't matter. We don't need to get caught up in all of this stuff. We don't need to be freaked out about what the world's doing and pointing fingers and saying, oh my gosh, look at what they're doing. And no, we need to go out. We just need to take Jesus to them. We need to make people, have people to understand this love and us help them to be brought into this relationship. That's what's going to change things. Pointing fingers, not going to change anything. See, the promise is eternal life. It's a, it's a life promise to us that's apart from all of the struggles 
So many times we ask the question, God, why is there this and why, why, why that? And, and, and can you take this away or can you take that away? And why, why would he let this person, why, why would he let me lose this person and feel this experience and go through this and all of these things? See, what we want is heaven. We want heaven because that's what you were made for. You weren't made for this. This is temporal and it's passing away and it's real and it's hard. But this isn't the end game. And because this isn't the end game, we can have joy. We can have a hope regardless of what's happening because it doesn't end here. Death has been overcome. New life is promised. It's the hope of a future that you and I have. He goes on to say that the truth lives in you, and he says that you need no one to teach you. That one we got to be a little careful with because what we can tend to do is say, well, I've got the Holy Spirit. I don't need anybody else. I can just do this thing alone. Well, there's way too many verses in the Bible that would contradict that. So we have to take, when we take God's counsel and we look at verses and stuff, you, you can never hyper-focus on a verse and pull that verse out and build doctrine around that verse. That's why I always have many verses, because when we start to build doctrine, we can get in a real jam, and the cults generally tend to do this, is they, they tend to pull one verse out, and then they hyper-focus on that verse, and they build doctrine around that. Well, when it says he, you don't need anybody to teach you, remember what they're fighting against is Gnosticism, this special teaching, this idea that what you really need is for somebody to help you to have this special teaching. He's saying, no, you don't need that. You have the Spirit of God in you to give you truth. And Jesus tells us the, the Spirit is the teacher, and it will resonate truth with you, but the context is always for us in growth in the Christian community. It's always community. And, and I tell you, like the times where I've spent in small group, um, I've always amazed at small group, and one of the powers of small group and the, and the power of studying God's Word together with other believers is that all of a sudden, the Spirit will reveal things that nobody saw. Like, no, like you will have prepared, maybe you're the leader and you will have prepared and you will be in the word and all of that stuff. But in the context of the community and the group, as you're sharing it, all of a sudden, things will start to come out, perspectives, and you'll be like, wow, I, never, I, I just saw that this way right now. I spent all week studying, but just now, wow, look at that, because somebody's going to bring something. You see, we're called to community. We're called to do this thing together. We're called to, to not just come to church on Sunday we don't, we don't want to just be people who just come to church Sunday. It needs to be more than that. And the relationships need to be deeper than that. And when those relationships are deep, they're, they're, they're rooted down into something that will, that will bring something meaningful and lasting into the church body. It really will. But if we just come to church on Sundays, it's not going to last. That's a dying church. It's a dying church. And again, remember, the ministry of the church is to be done by the people. The people aren't supposed to just sit back and wait for the staff to provide everything. The church is here to help equip, and we want to support and encourage and all of those kinds of things, but we need the people to begin to step out into these ministries. Truth lives in you. You need no one to teach you. The Holy Spirit is in you. Truth is living literally inside of you and will teach you and will help you to understand doctrine and start help you to understand um, false doctrine, but you got to know his word. You got to have spent time in there. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, 
but the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Stay there. Make your determination of what's right and wrong, not by what you think or feel, but by what God says. Trusting and knowing that he knows better than we do. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears... We may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Can that be said of us? Is of our lives, are we practicing righteousness? Are we seeking holiness in our lives? Or are we just um, playing church and compromising with the things of the world? And, and when it says... Seeking righteousness, it, 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 that doesn't mean that, that we've got it all, that we're doing it perfectly. It just means simply this, that the trajectory of your life has changed. It's changed. You're seeking this. It, it, it's what you want. Now, you may fall short, and you, like, and, and you will fall short in the midst of that, but that end game, that determination stays the same. It's that we're seeking what's good. As I've told you before in my life, Prior to Jesus, back in BC, I, I, I would literally—I I go out Friday night, um, and, and my trajectory was sin. That was what we were after. That was—that was the destination. That was the trajectory. That was the—that was what we were after. That was the end game. But today, I put that aside, and I seek righteousness. I seek to be a follower of Jesus. But sometimes, I fall short and I sin. And when I do, I allow Him to pick—I pick to, for Him to pick me back up and restore me, and I repent, and I try to have a change of heart and mind and attitude, and I begin to move back towards him again. This is what we do. See, you'll know them by their fruits. That's what the word says, that, that we'll know other believers by their fruits, by really how they live their lives and what it looks like. Again, not, not with this idea that if they've done something wrong, that now they're out and they've lost their salvation, but, but that but that, um, you know, there's just a reality to our lives of our actions need to match up with what we say we believe. And if they don't, the world labels us, maybe rightly at times, a hypocrite, right? It's this thing, like, like just think about this. If I said, um, if I told you, I said, hey, um, I'm all about AA, I'm, I'm all about AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm all about it. And I sponsor people and I chair meetings and I, and I seek and I reach out to other alcoholics and addicts and stuff like that. And, and I am in, man, I know all this stuff and the, I know the, the, the traditions, the 12 traditions and the steps and I know them backwards and forwards and all that kind of stuff. Hey, would you? I got a little whiskey in here. You want some? What does that do, right? Instantly, you know that I'm not really all about that, that, that I'm not really seeking that, that I'm actually seeking something else. So in our own lives, I mean, this is why John is calling us up. He's saying, look, you got, you got to, we practice righteousness. You'll know them by their fruits. And what are the fruits of our lives? And my big prayer is that we'll go out of here 
charged up to think about getting with some other believers to study God's word and live life with, and that we will also um, be seeking the anointing, the ministry that God has on our lives as we go out of here. Every single one of us. Have you invited anybody to church lately? Have you talked to anybody about Jesus lately? When's the last time? There's a statistic that says that most Christians never lead one person to Christ. Never. That's really, mis- that's, that's not right. <laughs> we have to, we have to, sh- we have to, you, you can't make somebody go there, and you don't want to try to make somebody go there. But when you're open and we're light, you know, conversations about God shouldn't be really weird. It should be really normal. And, and when you act like it's normal in your life, people will start to go, what do you have that I don't have? How come you have this relationship with God? How come you're interested in this stuff? How come you talk about it? Yeah, go freak somebody out this week. All right. Lord, thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you have a plan for us, that you have, you have things that you prepared in advance, opportunities for us to walk in different things, that you have anointed us and, and that you have given us a calling, that you love us, that you purchased us on the cross. Um, And Lord, I just pray for anybody here today who just hasn't maybe made that transaction, that today might be the day that they reckon with, you know what, Uh, my life really is is sinful, and I'm in need. I'm in need of a Savior. And Jesus, you say you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. I believe that, and I trust that. And I'm going to now become a follower of you. I'm going to allow the authority of who you are and your word to govern and to rule my life. I'm going to begin to live my life for you today. So, Lord, um, I'm praying for anybody who's never made that transaction that today might be the day that they do that. And I'm praying, Lord, just as a church body, that, God, that you would send us out of these doors to be effective in ministry and the things that you're calling us to throughout the week, that we would be mindful that you are in our conversations and that you have purposely placed us in certain uh, spheres of influence and relationships and places And so, God, may we just wake up in the mornings excited about what you might do in and through us. And may we be willing to just walk in the things that you're calling us to. We give you praise and glory and honor today because you alone are worthy of all that we have. And we're grateful. We're thankful people. We're thankful for the opportunities that we have. We're thankful that you've saved us and that you have delivered us and that you have a promise for us of one day delivering us into the eternal life that is beyond our ability to even think of or imagine. So God, we just want to rest in your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.